Greetings, Northlings, and welcome to the spookiest podcast in the great wide north. It's haunted up north. Haunted up north. As always, we remain fully dedicated to the telling of real-life paranormal experiences from mainly, not always, but mainly the north of the UK. I'm your host Victoria and I really hope you find yourselves scintillated, scared and most importantly entertained by the special tales I'm about to tell you today. Speaking of today, today we're deep diving like a big massive nose. We're doing a big old massive nose dive into the supernatural world of one of England's most picturesque little villages. So get ready for an eerie adventure into deepest, darkest, but also very pretty and nice, Epworth in the northern territories of Lincolnshire, a village that boasts both beauty and mystery. Whoa! So I've been reading a book called The Haunting of Borley Rectory by Sean O'Connor. I bought the Kindle version on Amazon for about £10 and it's about the infamous Borley Rectory, a gothic-style house located in the village of Borley, Essex, which was, at one time, described by renowned psychic researcher Harry Price as the most haunted house in England. There are so many of those, but apparently, at this point, when Harry Price said this, this was the most haunted house in England. It was originally constructed in 1862 to serve as the residence of the rector of the parish of Borley and his family, but soon after it was built it was surrounded by rumours of alleged paranormal activity that persisted for many years. Unfortunately, the house was destroyed by fire in 1939 and was eventually demolished in 1944. But despite the fact that the building no longer stands, the stories associated with the hauntings supposedly experienced at Borley still captivate paranormal enthusiasts to this day. As English actor, comedian and writer Mark Gatiss states, Borley Rectory is perhaps the definition of an old haunt, still exerting an extraordinary grip on the popular imagination. Balanced, surprising and strangely moving. And I think you'd have to read this book by Sean O'Connor to really understand why it's become a firm favourite of mine. The nature of the scary stories told inside it are, well, they're pretty frightening, but it talks extensively about the lives and histories of those involved in prior, during and after the Borley Rectory investigation. And it's such an interesting read. Regardless of the scary stuff, it's really interesting as well. I'd highly recommend it, and although it's not a northern tale, I had to really resist writing an episode about it for today's instalment, because I haven't actually finished the book, so I don't want to ruin it for myself, Uh, so I'll do it one day, but for now, because I don't want to jump ahead of what I've already read in The Haunting of Borley Rectory by Sean O'Connor, I'm going to, instead, focus on another haunted rectory that exists in the village of Epworth, North Lincolnshire, England. I first became aware of a paranormal connection with Epworth when I visited it myself in February after I went to pick up my rescue cat. I'm aware of the fact I mention my cat in just about every episode, but it's true. I did drive to Epworth from Haworth to pick up my rescue cat, who unfortunately had to be rehomed from the house she was in in Epworth, because uh, she basically just hates other cats, and she'd been rehomed as a stray in a house in Epworth that she shared with two other cats, who she hated. Rude. 
I don't know whether she hated Epworth, though, because I liked Epworth. It was very nice. It is very nice. It's still there, even though I'm not in it. The world still exists outside of you, Victoria. But Epworth is in a place called the Isle of Axholm. <laughs> Isle of Axum. Axholm? Don't know. But it's there, and it's a part of North Lincolnshire that adjoins South Yorkshire, and it's located between the towns of Scunthorpe and Gainsborough both of which are in the traditional West Riding of Lindsay and the city of Doncaster. Doncaster is in South Yorkshire, just so you know. Doncaster is actually the postal town of Epworth, and the region that Epworth belongs to is considered part of Yorkshire and the Humber. So it's kind of Yorkshire, kind of Lincolnshire, but it's definitely a nice place to visit, especially on a sunny day. Epworth was the birthplace of John and Charles Wesley, the founders of Methodism, also called the Methodist Movement, which is a Protestant Christian denomination that traces its origins, doctrine and practice to John Wesley and his teachings. The movement, which was also led by George Whitefield and John's brother Charles Wesley, was known for the methodical way in which its members practiced their faith. Originally a revival movement within the Church of England in the 18th century, Methodism became a separate denomination after Wesley's death. The movement spread throughout the British Empire, the United States and beyond due to extensive missionary work and has approximately 80 million followers worldwide today. The father of John and Charles Wesley was a man named Samuel Wesley, who was the rector of Epworth from 1697 until his death in 1735. He was a clergyman of the Church of England, a poet and a writer who held Anglican Armi- Armin- Arminian- oh my God. Arminianist views, which made him a controversial figure in the church due to the movement's ideas around free will outside of God's predestined plan for the world. That's a daft person's description of what Arminianism is. I stand corrected. You can read all about it elsewhere, and about the Wesleys too. All colourful characters from the looks of things, but until I went to Epworth, I never realised it was so steeped in religious history. Nor did I realise that the rectory in which Samuel Wesley and his family lived was invaded between December 1716 and January 1717 by an entity known as the Wesley Poltergeist. So let me tell you a little bit about poltergeists, in case you're unfamiliar with them. Hopefully you're not personally familiar with poltergeists existing inside your home, and you'll find out why in a minute. But if you don't know what a poltergeist is, and this is something I should have explained in the last episode of Haunted Up North, a poltergeist is a type of ghost or spirit known for instigating physical disturbances. The term poltergeist originates from the German words polten, meaning to make sound or to rumble, and geist meaning ghost or spirit which together translate as rumbling ghost or noisy spirit. These entities are often associated with creating loud noises, moving or destroying objects, and exhibiting behaviours such as pinching, biting, hitting, and tripping people. They are also believed to possess the ability to manipulate objects through movement or levitation, including furniture and cutlery, as well as producing auditory phenomena like knocking on doors. 
Additionally, poltergeist occurrences are often accompanied by foul smells, spontaneous fires and electrical issues like flickering lights. It is noteworthy that poltergeists are commonly associated with targeting specific individuals, often an adolescent or someone experiencing emotional distress. Some examples of famous cases involving supposed poltergeist activity are, of course, the Enfield poltergeist, which involved a series of disturbances inside the North London home of the Hodgson family during the late 1970s, the Bell Witch, where an early 19th century Tennessee household was haunted by the ghost of an alleged witch that spoke to and caused them actual physical harm, the 1960s Rosenheim poltergeist, where a lawyer's office experienced unexplained electrical malfunctions and flickering lights, the Thornton Heath poltergeist in Thornton Heath, England, where, in the 1970s, the Hitchings family experienced unexplained footsteps and moving objects, and the Black Monk of Pontefract, a very northern tale of supernatural infamy, which we'll no doubt talk about at some point on here, who terrorised the Pritchard family throughout the 1960s and 70s. The 1982 film Poltergeist, one of my very favourite films, directed by Toby Hooper or Steven Spielberg, depends on who you ask, was apparently inspired by the Herman family haunting which took place in Long Island in early 1958, where a poltergeist named Popper would move up end and pop the caps off household bottles. We'll talk about that more another time, as no doubt I want to discuss the film and story on a deeper level at some point soon. I'm going to deep it. But reports of spirits tormenting and harassing individuals can be traced back to as early as the first century. However, it was during the early 17th century that references to poltergeists began to grow more prevalent. So, the rectory in Epworth, where John and Charles Wesley lived, known as the Old Rectory, a Queen Anne-style building, which means it was built in the English Baroque fashion, popular during the reign of Queen Anne from 1702 to 1714. Queen Anne, uh, as a side note, was the subject of the 2018 film The Favourite, played by Olivia Colman. If that helps give anyone who's ever seen the film context of who Queen Anne was and the time in which the current Epworth Rectory was built, this Queen Anne style Baroque, English Baroque fashion building thing, <laughs> it was originally constructed in 1709 and is currently owned by the Methodist Church of Great Britain, as for obvious reasons it's of great historical and cultural significance. It is now a museum used for public enjoyment and educational purposes, but when it was first built, it was the residence of the Reverend Samuel Wesley, rector of Epworth, his wife Susanna, and their 19 children. Yes, you heard correctly, 19 children. Sadly, nine of these children died in infancy, leaving behind three boys and seven girls, one of which, as discussed, was Samuel and Susanna's renowned son John who would go on to become a notable figure in the founding of Methodism. The original rectory, because the Grade 1 listed building we see standing today at Number 1 Rectory Street wasn't the first rectory to be built on this particular site. The original rectory was, in fact, constructed from wood, 
It was timber-framed with a thatched roof, and on the 9th of February, 1709, while the Wesleys were in residence, disaster struck the rectory, when a ferocious fire ravaged the building, burning it to the ground. And it's said that John Wesley, who was five years old at the time, barely escaped with his life, after he was rescued from an upstairs window via means of a human ladder, mere moments before the roof of the wooden rectory collapsed. Many believe that this fire was intentionally started in an attempt to drive the Wesleys out of Epworth, due to the locals' dislike of Samuel Wesley. Throughout the Wesleys' residence, their land became a target for local hostility, resulting in destructive acts that brought immense hardship to the family. Their neighbours, driven by their grievances, deliberately set fire to the family's valuable crops and even inflicted harm upon the Wesleys' livestock. Prior to the 1709 fire, the Wesleys had already endured the harrowing experience of a previous house fire in 1702, which had already left a substantial portion of the dwelling extensively damaged. Despite these hardships, however, the Wesleys remained steadfast in their commitment to their beliefs and mission, and by December 1709, a new rectory had been erected. <laughs> a new rectory had been erected, and still stands to this day as a testament to the resilience and determination of the Wesley family. The new building imposed a considerable financial burden on Samuel Wesley, costing him £400 of his personal funds, which was a lot back then. I don't know how much it was in today's money. Shall we look? I don't know. I can't... I can't <laughs> I'm sure I could find the answer. At thousands and thousands, probably like 50 grand, maybe more than that, possibly. In 1800, it's uh, about 42,000 or something like that. 42,000 pounds. So I don't know what that would be. Would it be... I don't know. More. 60,000 pounds. <laughs> anyway, thousands of pounds. The grandeur of this new residence was intended to command respect. However, behind the facade of this impressive new structure of brick and stone, the reality was far from glamorous. Samuel, who had already struggled with debts prior to the fire, found himself sinking further into financial distress. While the new rectory projected an image of opulence and prosperity, the truth was that Samuel's financial situation remained precarious, with mounting debts and an unfinished home serving as a constant reminder of his financial struggles. Beyond its historical significance, the old rectory also holds a reputation for being the site of alleged paranormal events. In 1726, various supernatural occurrences took place, intriguing both believers and sceptics alike. The reported incidents contribute to the mystique and allure surrounding the old rectory, making it a curious and captivating destination, especially for paranormal weirdos like me. It was a cold December morning that marked the beginning of a rather chilling chapter in the Wesley family's lives. It was on this day that one of their maids was startled by the sound of eerie groans permeating throughout the premises. 
Whispers and rumours of strange rappings, scratchings and knockings had long circulated amongst those acquainted with the daily workings of the Wesley household, aka the servants, when the original wooden house had still been standing. But the first recorded incident in the new building took place during the early hours of December the 1st, 1716, when a young maid, dutifully attending to her chores, was alarmed by the sudden sound of an otherworldly moan emanating from the attic above her head. The mournful noise appeared to be that of an anguished soul teetering on the painful verge of death, and it echoed throughout the house, escalating in the days that followed into a series of violent bangs and mysterious knocks reverberating within the walls of the attic where the servants' quarters were located. Not only this, but the kitchen utensils clattered and swayed of their own accord. Latches moved up and down by unseen hands. Lumps of coal flew through the air. Boots and shoes danced in their spots. And a pewter tea set jumped from the shelf upon which it usually sat. There were reports from the farmhand of the corn mill grinding round and round all by itself. The sound of a man in jackboots stomping up the stairs with the rush of what seemed like a nightgown trailing behind him, and the watchdog continuously howled with dread, refusing to leave the house. Overwhelmed by fear, the servants approached Mrs. Wesley, the lady of the house, and shared their mounting concerns that a malevolent spirit was inhabiting the attic. The family initially dismissed these reports as mere flights of morbid fancy or imagination, but were forced from their position of disbelief when the ghostly entity began to shift its focus from the staff towards the Wesleys themselves. It commenced a relentless assault upon the family, manifesting as incessant knocks that rang through the rectory's walls at all hours. The disturbances began to manifest most prominently on Christmas Day, 1716, when the room above the Wesleys' heads erupted into a cacophony of noises sounding as if numerous individuals were incessantly walking and running up and down the stairs. Mrs. Wesley herself vividly recounted the haunting footsteps, remarking, There was such noise over our heads, as if several people were walking and then running up and down the stairs. The children were frightened. As the days unfolded, the supernatural occurrences escalated, captivating the attention of every member of the Wesley household including the children. The echoing knocks and peculiar sounds, which also materialised in the form of an ethereal horn, the jingling of coins, and the occasional disembodied drag of drapery across the floor, continued throughout the rectory, with the nursery often bearing witness to these perplexing manifestations. Walls were relentlessly pounded upon, household items were hurled about, and even the bedding on the beds was violently disturbed. Hetty, one of the Wesley children, even bestowed a name upon the elusive apparition, referring to it as Old Geoffrey. It was believed that this entity was none other than a former rector who had passed away in the old building, bearing a grudge that fueled the haunting. Old Geoffrey would terrorise the children, especially at night, tugging at the nursery door, which they ran and held onto, unable to sleep for fear he would enter the room. Mary Wesley, at that time in her early teens, was hoisted from her bed 
and levitated several times to a considerable height, and when she managed to make it out of her room, the sound of an invisible broom followed her as she ran. In an act of desperation, Reverend Samuel Wesley solicited the help of two fellow clergymen, one of which included noted exorcist the Reverend Mr. Hool to perform an exorcism on the house. During the exorcism ceremony, they witnessed beds heaving from the floor, bedclothes being tugged away, a series of violent knockings, and when the rector Samuel Wesley flourished his pistol at this unseen entity, the Reverend Hool restrained him, saying, Sir, you are convinced that this is something preternatural. If so, your attack cannot hurt it, and may give it power to hurt you. True that. It was shortly after this that the entity began to cease its campaign of terror, and the poltergeist activity diminished in intensity, until finally, by the end of January 1717, the thundering, rattling phenomena suddenly and inexplicably ceased, and old Geoffrey vanished as mysteriously as he had appeared. Interestingly, however, even three centuries later, occasional reports still emerge of disembodied moans and the shuffling of unseen feet. Oh my god, that is so scary, guys. Isn't it? It's very scary. I just, I flippin' love this haunted rectory stuff. The Epworth Rectory haunting has been investigated by many people over the years, including sceptical investigators such as Addington Bruce and Trevor H. Hall. Addington Bruce, an American journalist and author of psychology books, was a sceptical investigator of poltergeist claims. He concluded that they are best explained by fraud and psychological factors such as hallucination or suggestion, and he felt that the supposed haunting of Epworth Rectory was no exception. He noted that many poltergeist cases involve children who are going through a difficult time, such as a divorce or the death of a loved one, and that many poltergeist cases involve people who are under a lot of stress. A century and a half after the events that took place inside the home of the Wesley family, he suggested that Hetty, John's older sister, was responsible for the disturbances and had fraudulently produced the phenomena herself. Trevor H. Hall, in his 1965 book New Light on Old Ghosts, also provided natural explanations for the ghostly goings-on at the rectory. Hall was a British parapsychologist who was interested in investigating the paranormal using scientific methods. He examined the evidence for the Epworth haunting and concluded that it was more likely that the phenomena was caused by natural or psychological factors than by paranormal activity. He noted that the earliest records of the haunting are quite limited, and that they only mention creaking noises, knocks, footsteps and groaning sounds, which he argued could easily be explained by natural causes, such as wind disturbance, the settling of the house or the movement of animals. Additional explanations included the movement of objects being caused by air currents or vibrations of the house, and that natural light sources such as sunlight, moonlight or electrical disturbances, natural electricity, obviously, not wires and devices and things like that, because it was ages ago, electrical disturbances could have been responsible for any light phenomena experienced. 
He also stated that the witnesses to the hauntings were often under a lot of stress, which could have made them more susceptible to believing that they were experiencing paranormal activity. Sorry, I don't know if you'll be able to hear this, my cat started cleaning herself. Her interest has been ignited by the subject matter of her home village. Shall I ask her if she saw a ghost at the Epworth Rectory? Look at me. Look at me. Did you see a ghost at the Epworth Rectory? She says she doesn't believe in ghosts. Yeah, whatever. Another thing that Hall pointed out, and (laughs) this is something that an AI actually told me, a, a piece of information I didn't find myself in any of the online articles that I read on the subject of Epworth Rectory, but they said uh, that the robot said that the Wesley family were selling tickets to people who wanted to look inside the house and potentially witness these paranormal events for themselves. So Hall said that having a financial stake in the haunting itself, according to Skynet, we'll call AI Skynet from now on, after the fictional artificial neural network-based conscious group mind and artificial general superintelligence system that serves as the main antagonist of the Terminator franchise, we'll be calling any AI involvement Skynet, because it's fun. Not that I'm saying AI will become self-aware and decide humans are a threat to its existence and, as a result, trigger nuclear war and hunt down those of us who remain. And if that does happen, I'm sure there'll be some nice robots knocking about to help defend our human rights. So, it's... (laughs) Jesus Christ, I've been waylaid by Skynet and Terminator. But Skynet told me, moving on, that the Wesleys were selling tickets to those who wished to come and have a look in their haunted house. So possibly that could have motivated the Wesleys to exaggerate or even fabricate some or all of the poltergeist phenomena they were claiming was affecting them. Whatever you believe, you, I, and of course, AI, there is no one single explanation that can account for all of the evidence put forward with regards to the Epworth Rectory poltergeist. It remains to this day one of the most famous and well-documented cases of poltergeist activity in history, and the events that took place there during the winter of 1716 and 1717 have been the subject of much debate and speculation. It's kind of weird, and this is where this narrative draws a lot of comparisons with the haunting of Borley Rectory The Wesleys, like the inhabitants of Borley Rectory, both the Bull and Foister family, who lived in it at different times, they were all devout Christians who, in an outward sense anyway, didn't believe in ghosts. So it feels more than a little out of character for them to have made something like this up, at least from scratch anyway. There is the idea that it might have started off as an unsettling household quirk that snowballed into something bigger due to the escalating fear of the rectory inhabitants, which obviously, in the case of Epworth, was exacerbated by stressful financial circumstances. And with the Borley rectory hauntings as well, with the Foister family that moved in, they weren't having a great time either, financially, and they were considered outsiders as well. There was a bit of a sort of contention going on within the community with regards to both families. And if the Wesleys were making some money out of their house being haunted, like Skynet says, there'd be quite a good deal of incentive to keep that poltergeist narrative going for as long as possible, and perhaps even invent some new frightening incidents to maintain the public's interest. Oh, and I forgot to mention the Smith family in the Borley Rectory haunting. Sorry. (laughs) 
They were in between the bulls and the foisters. You'll find all this out if you read the book, The Haunting of Bolly Rectory by Sean O'Connor. But anyway, what do you think? Let me know your theories. That's my Danny Robbins impression. <laughs> I'm sure he's going to love it, because uh, he obviously listens to this podcast and is a massive fan of my incredibly professional and broadcast quality content. John Wesley himself wrote a nine-page pamphlet, I guess you'd call it a pamphlet if it's only nine pages long, called The Haunting of Epworth Rectory, An Account of the Disturbances in My Father's House. I'm not sure when it was published, but I bet that's an interesting read as well. I can't, I don't know, I couldn't find anywhere that you can, that you can buy it from, but I'm sure there's somewhere. I didn't look very far. But yeah, anyone who's read it, let me know if you've read it. Poltergeists are scary, aren't they? Like, they're so scary. They're just, just an invisible attacker who isn't made of human matter or physical matter. It's just unfathomably impossible to think about how you deal with that. One of my most frightening reoccurring dreams is of poltergeist, being afraid of and being plagued by an entity I can't see. Because it's one thing to have a ghost in your house that you sometimes see, but it's another to have a ghost in your house that physically moves things and attacks you that you can't ever see. So I don't know what I believe about the Epworth Rectory poltergeist. It, actually, it's called Epworth Old Rectory, which I don't really understand. Because surely it's the new rectory if it was rebuilt to replace an earlier one. But is there another newer rectory in Epworth, do you think? Hang on, I'll ask Skynet. <laughs> Skynet says this. Epworth Rectory is called Old Rectory because it was built in 1709 to replace an earlier rectory that had burnt down. We know that. The term Old Rectory was first used in the 19th century when a new rectory was built next to the old one. The new rectory was called New Rectory, and the old rectory was simply referred to as Old Rectory. So, we're none the wiser. Uh, but yeah, I don't know what to believe about the Epworth Old Rectory poltergeist, but if my nightmares are anything to go by, I would never want to find myself in a situation where I had to face one. That's enough now. That's it. I'm going. I'm going away. Thanks for listening, everyone, and for letting me inject a bit of North Lincolnshire soul into your day. I hope you found these ghosts to be good ones, and that you were suitably entertained by them. Long live Epworth and all who haunt her, and may her power forever compel you. <laughs> I asked Skynerd what I should write in terms of cautionary one-liners about Poltergeist for the outro of my show, and they've given me some great ideas. Don't taunt a Poltergeist, or you might find yourself getting a taste of your own medicine. If you see a poltergeist, run away as fast as you can. When the furniture starts flying, it's time to start praying. Poltergeist, they're a menace. What do you call a poltergeist that's always making a mess? A real pain in the haunt. <laughs> poltergeist, they're not just playing games, they're playing with your mind. And last but not least, don't be a poltergeist's toy. That one is very true. You must not, under any circumstances, be a poltergeist's toy. I hope these one-liners help to raise awareness of the potential dangers of poltergeist activity. See you later. Bye!
that persisted for many years. <laughs>